Welcome to another installment of the Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert, and today I'm here with Paul Bolas. Paul is a partner at Bradley, where he represents insurance company clients as a litigator. He's also the practice management partner at the firm, and he heads up the firm's client service program. Paul, great to have you on the program. Great to be here, David. We want to talk a little bit about uh, client service, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But first, if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about your firm and your practice, maybe a word or two by way of background. Bradley is a large, small firm based in the South. We have nine offices located throughout, from really from Washington, D.C., all the way to Houston now, which is our most recent office that we opened up this year. And we have over 500 lawyers, so we really run the gambit. We're really kind of a national firm based in the South. Myself, I am in the practice management partner role. I've been in that role for about four years. Um, it kind of came through the firm's strategic planning process where they decided that they wanted to organize the firm more by practice groups and decided to, in an effort to do that, they really needed a partner to be over all the practice groups in the law firm. And so I was asked to play that role, and I had been previously the business development and marketing partner. So it was kind of a progression um, in some respects because really the role has revolved around business development. That makes perfect sense. As a lawyer in formerly the business development marketing partner role and now the practice management client service role, tell me, what is your philosophy when it comes to this phenomenon of client service? I really think client service is the key differentiator now between law firms that provide excellent legal work. If you get to the table, there's already the assumption that you can provide expertise legally. But the difference amongst law firms really is about client service. And if you can excel at client service, then you can really be the go-to firm and get the reputation and maintain market share in, in the areas in which you can excel. And what I mean by that really is, you know, throughout the ability to provide excellent client service, it can really go to growth, retention, and profitability of clients. And I think it not only makes clients more satisfied, but it gives attorneys more job satisfaction, less turnover, and it helps the firm culture as well. Tell me a little bit about this concept of client service as you understand it, because you know the phrase gets tossed around a lot, and I think every self-respecting lawyer or law firm would tell you that, well, look, when my clients have a need, I service that need, right? When they call, I try to be responsive and try to give them good legal advice. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I do what I can to make them happy. Isn't that client service? How can you be any better at that than just kind of, you know, doing your best? It goes way beyond that to provide excellent client service. For our firm, what we did is, is we started at a firm retreat, and we had tables, um, and we had a table leader who had been trained at every table, and we really came up with ideas from everybody in the law firm about what would, what would be excellent client service in their different areas. And we collected all of those thoughts, and we condensed that down ultimately into what we called the client service best practices, which the firm now has in a document that it's every attorney, every new attorney that comes in has one on their desk. And it's really kind of our promise to each other that we're going to provide excellent client service in every different scenario and way. And one of the things I think that's so important is, for instance, different clients like 
communication different ways. There's not one set way that a client likes to receive communications. Some prefer emails. Some prefer no emails and a phone call. Others prefer no emails after five o'clock because then I'm into my comfort zone at home and if I get an email, then I worry about it. So please don't send me one till the next morning. Some prefer an email immediately at seven o'clock at night if that's when the topic comes up or the issue comes up. So over time, you learn those patterns. So what we've instituted is a process by which attorneys that work on a team for a client gather that information by asking the client, you know, how do you prefer this communication? And we keep notes on that. And so the goal then is that we don't have to ask the client again and again every time a new attorney starts working for that client or a new legal assistant, it's already there. And so we provide service without even because we're learning about our client and we're communicating that to the group that we don't have to ask the client or make a mistake by not doing what the client prefers. And I think that's just one example of excellent client service. That's a great example. So you've got a system by which you can customize the communication to the client's preferences, communicating thereby that you're listening, you care about how they're experiencing the services and how they want to stay in a dialogue with the firm. It also sounds like you've spent a good amount of time during this strategic planning process really examining the intangible that client service is. I mean, ultimately, it really is just an experience that the client has, right? And how do you get your arms around delivering a particular kind of high-quality experience amidst getting their legal needs met. So true. And, you know, another way in which we do that or that we think providing value through client service is so important. And and one of those things is that we're committed to learning our clients' industries and companies on our own dime. And we've made a commitment to do that because not only do you have to provide legal advice these days, but you really need to understand the business as well so that you can provide the legal advice in the context of your client's business. I think what you're talking about, Paul, is so critical and so often sloppily dealt with. What I mean by that is throw a rock and hit any firm with a client service motto and they'll tell you that, well, certainly, you know, we try to do things the way the client wants them. And certainly we know we're supposed to know the client's business, but there isn't necessarily a protocol or a list of best practices that ensures that all of the lawyers have raised their bar to a particular level when it comes to those arenas. So, you know, it ends up looking like, well, you know, when it occurs to me, I'll ask them a question or two about their strategic plan. Or, you know, when it occurs to me, I'll ask them, do you prefer that I text or email or call? But there isn't any institutionalized philosophy. And that's what I really appreciate about what you're describing here. Yes, we really have come up with that institutional philosophy. And then once we came up with, and we have 22 different bullet points, basically uh, best practices. Well, not only did we, we didn't stop there. We actually then created a document behind that, which explained for each one of those 22 bullet points, what you should be doing in order to provide the client service. So that not only do you have the words about what it means, but you also have the actions that you need to take in order to provide that excellent client service. So there are a lot of documents floating around law firms of you really ought to do things this way over that way. And maybe a practice group leader drafted the document and, you know, CC'd everybody in the in, in that particular department and it got filed away and, and rarely referenced since. So I wonder, how do you enforce? How do you police? How do you ensure that these 22 best practices are consistently in practice? 
That, that is a great question. And as we all know, with lawyers, you cannot simply dictate behavior. It doesn't work that way. But what you can do is, over time, by your consistent and repeated reminders and discussions about it, and also from the firm leadership from the very top, from the chairman of the board, the board on down, if it's consistently communicated how important it is, then you, you will get buy-in over time. And, and that's really what we've done. And, and we continue to do that. We, we have every year what we call an all-attorney survey that we institute. And it's basically a, it's an individual business plan. We don't tell our lawyers that um, by way of a survey. And on that survey, it, it specifically has, you know, what will you do this year um, to promote the client service best practices of the firm. And you have to actually write, you you click on it, it brings up the document. So again, a reminder of what the document is. And you have to actually say this year what you're going to do to further client service best practices. So again, another way to remind people how important it is and the continuing effort that we must all place on it. That's great. Putting it in front of them and making sure that it is top of mind is half the battle. Yeah, and I will also say that that as part of this, it, it was important to us that it wasn't just attorneys that were involved, but we got staff involved because we believe that a client's point of contact at any point with a law firm has to have the best client service. So whether it be a secretary, a legal assistant, even our receptionist all receive training in what it would mean to have excellent client service from, from their viewpoint. And so we've done it from the top down, basically. I was going to ask you if this philosophy has evolved over time, but I think you've answered that question. It sounds like there has been a deliberate effort on the firm's part to really examine this and construct a an approach and a philosophy. But correct me if I'm wrong on that. It has not changed over time. And in fact, I believe over time, uh, the validation of the importance of it has been seen uh, in all the statistics and surveys that you see from clients and the importance that clients are placing on client service now. So I I think it's only validated uh, really what our philosophy has been. When you are bringing younger lawyers into the fold at the firm here, uh, what kind of advice do you find yourself giving them that can take them from this very generic concept of, oh, right, I, I should be responsive and I should do what the client tells me to into this more elevated, mature philosophy that the firm has? So there are several ways. I, I think it's so important for young lawyers to understand that to be a really good lawyer, legal skills is only one thing, and that you must do other things as well if you really want to excel at being a lawyer. And one of those is providing excellent client service. And what we tell our younger lawyers who are just entering is that they should treat the partners that they are working with just as if they are clients. And they should institute the client service best practices with the lawyers that they're working with. It's a way for them to start understanding how if you can provide this kind of service to the partner that you're working with, you're getting used to what you'll need to do when you provide it to a client. I also tell them that, you know, if you want to, again, excel and be the person that a client starts calling. If you will pay attention to that client and listen to what they have to say and go by what we have instituted as a law firm here at Bradley about our client service best practices, you're well on the road to being successful in this area. And if you can get this nailed down and you can do the legal skills, which you will if you're going to excel, then you're on your way to being a well-rounded lawyer. Makes sense. Speak to me about your thoughts on the intersection 
between this institutionalized client service model that the firm has and client development. And what I'm interested to know here is, is it just a means to an end? Are we just providing excellent service so that we can get more business out of them? Is, is it mercenary on some level? Well, on some level, it, it is. But I, I really think that you, you can certainly have client development without having client service. And what I mean by that is you can go out and, and obtain a new client because of the skill set that you may have or the reputation that you have in a particular legal area, and you can get that client. But if you want to retain that client and grow that client and have that client be happy, then you've got to provide the client service. So they really go hand in hand. You can do client development without client service. But I believe if you don't do the client service over the long term, you're going to get left out on work that you otherwise would not get if you didn't provide the client service. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction that the two are interwoven and that you uh, really can't do client service without expecting the relationship to develop. And while you can do client development without service, it's not a sustainable endeavor. That's my philosophy. I would agree with that. And I think that's what the firm has really committed to through their client service best practices. So do you engage in formal or informal client service interviews? We do. We have both. Through our practice groups, we ask that our practice group leaders ask attorneys that have end of matters to follow up with their clients and ask just some basic questions about, you know, did this turn out the way you anticipated? Was there something that we could have done better? Is there anything else that we could have done? You know, those sorts of just broad-based questions to get some feedback. Now, of course, that doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's good, and we do get some feedback from that. But we also have a formal program that we call a client connection program. And this is where we go out and actually go to the client, a partner at the law firm who is not a partner who works with that client. So we have four or five partners that have been trained in this. And we actually go to the client site and speak with the decision maker or makers at that client. And we ask them. We ask them several questions about how we're doing. It is not a pitch. We do not ask for additional business during this meeting. We simply ask our clients how we're doing on a number of different areas. And you would be surprised at the feedback that our clients give us. It's really very good. You know, if you go and sit down with a client and ask them, they will tell you what they think you're doing right and what you're not doing right. And it can be eye-opening sometimes the little things that you learn that a client is irritated about that you can fix very easily if you just know about them. You know, it's amazing what you can find out. And so we have found that to be a very useful resource. We sit down with the relationship partners after the after we go out and meet with the client, you know, we tell them, you know, what the client had to say. Specifically, we have a to-do list of any items, the areas that we can improve in. I mean, we've even had some clients tell us, you know, we wish we y'all would put more associates on a file. It's like, oh, well, that's not a problem. We'll be glad to do that. But we had no right. idea. We thought we were trying to keep, you know, expenses down by keeping fewer attorneys. Well, no, actually, we're worried about a succession plan. We're worried about the next attorney that's going to come up. So we'd really prefer to have another associate on the file. Okay, I mean, we can fix that. So, I mean, it, you know, you, you don't understand or learn that sometimes until you sit down with a client and ask. And, and I've done some of these, and what I've been amazed by is that, I mean, oftentimes we're meeting with very busy people. And I've had on more than one occasion the decision maker say, I, I want to extend this session. I, I, can, can you cancel my next meeting? Can you push it a half hour? I, I, I want to continue this conversation because of the value they see in it as well. 
And so I, I think all firms would do better to have that kind of interplay with their clients on a more frequent basis. Well, I would agree with you, but based on the latest Altman Weil survey, roughly half of the law firms out there are still not doing any sort of formal client service interview program. I guess they're concerned about what they'll learn. They don't want to poke the bear, or maybe they're afraid they'll get feedback they can't do anything about. Maybe the feedback will be something like, yeah, we, we all give you some feedback. Cut your rates in half. How about that? You know, I mean, I'm sure there are these kinds of assumptions, and many of them are negative assumptions that perhaps keep law firms in place. Have you ever experienced a client service interview situation where you thought the cons outweighed the pros? I did not. Uh, they have always, the, the, the pros have always outweighed the cons of doing them. I will say, though, that the, the biggest con in doing them is getting them scheduled. And that's because, one, you have partners that are resistant to going to meet their client with, with clients that they have a relationship with. And two, you know, the people that you're scheduling them with have very busy schedules. And so oftentimes you'll get them scheduled and then they get pushed or they get moved. And so it's a constant effort to get them, you know, completed. But I do believe it is so important and you learn. I, I've never been to one where we didn't learn more that was positive than was negative. And the thing about it is if you learn the negative and act on the negative, then you're going to have a client that's more satisfied and it's going to stay with the firm as opposed to one that you might not know about that might end up leaving the firm because you didn't know that you could fix some of the problems that you may be having. Well, I appreciate your openness, your willingness to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly and to do something with it. I appreciate that your firm has institutionalized this so that not only is the value of client service in the rhetoric, but it's really in the implementation in terms of how you're interfacing with your clients. And I'm sure you're seeing the results in the engagements and the client expansion that is sure to follow uh, one of these uh, client service programs. So, Paul, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us on this topic and really appreciate your uh, openness to having a dialogue with the client as opposed to making assumptions about where they might be. It is so important to have that dialogue. You know, and sometimes um, we as attorneys don't listen enough. And so if you listen to your clients, that would be my advice. Listen to your clients more and you'll learn more about them. So thank you so much, David, for the opportunity. Here, here. This has been another installment of the Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert. My guest, Paul Bullis, has been sharing his thoughts. Thanks again, Paul.